It's Mattress Firm's President's Day Sale. Right now, save up to $600 when you get a king bed at a queen price and a queen for a twin. Like a Serta Perfect Sleeper Queen mattress now just $499.99. Plus, take home a free adjustable base when you spend just $499. Don't wait. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you for our best deal of the year. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. Hope you had yourselves an amazing weekend. The fog rolled into New England and Atlanta rolled out on its back. The Steelers punked the Bengals in a game that had absolutely everything, including another Vontez perfect cheap shot. Jim Harbaugh gets beaten again. He's just 6-5 and five in his last 11. The same exact record as Brady Hoke after 33 games. And T.Y. Hilton threw his offensive line under the freaking bus. Three excellent guests as well. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. Jack Del Rio of the Raiders. Had plenty to say about Marshawn Lynch. And Bruce Feldman was all over the college football weekend. Alvy, lots to get to, so let's not waste any time. Do what you do. <laughs> Starting with the NFL, let me ask you this. Did you see the Patriots game last night? I didn't. What the hell was that? Needed about a half a dozen lighthouses for that game to make sure that the players were not running into each other. I honestly have no idea what happened in that game. I'm going to take your word for it that the Pats won and they played well and they look good again. Otherwise, I have no idea. And that was just one part of a weird, weird weekend where seven teams did not score an offensive TD where the Bears won by 14, despite their offense only accounting for a field goal, where the Panthers lost to a Bears team that had Mitchell Trubisky complete a grand total of four passes. The same weekend, where the city of Los Angeles did not allow a single point to Arizona or Denver, and where the Titans and the Browns combined for seven field goals and no touchdowns in an overtime game. So what I'm saying here is there were a lot of games that were lacking something. But there was one game that was not lacking anything at all. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. That game had everything. Cheap shots, stiff arms, fake punts, incredible celebrations. In fact, that was one of the most entertaining games I think I've ever seen. And you know it's going to be interesting when these two get together. And it didn't take long. Barely 40 seconds into that game, Vontez Perfect was on the ground when he appeared to deliver a double-footed kick to the head of Steelers fullback Roosevelt Nix. And the natural question is, why? Why would he do that? And the natural answer is, do you really need a reason why Vontez Perfect goes Vontez Perfect? That's just how he is. Now, I can't quite figure out the best part of that moment. The fact that he's going double kick to some guy's head inside the first minute of the game or that he immediately blamed Knicks and tries to get the official's attention like, hey, hey, this dude just stuck his head in the path of my kicking feet. That's a penalty, right, ref? Or, hey, that chump just headbutted my feet. What the hell are you going to do about that, ref? He was not flagged for it, but there is a decent chance he will get fined, maybe even suspended again. Not that those suspensions seem to matter to him at all. Le'Veon Bell tweeted the clip later on with the caption, Dude, gotta go, man. Dude, gotta go, man. That's not football at all. End quote. 
He then chased that with, quote, it's unbelievable the league is just condoning this activity. But if Rosie reacts, Rosie would be the one that would get into trouble, end quote. Except those tweets weren't even Bell's strongest move of the day, not by a long shot. Because early in the second quarter, Ben Roethlisberger hit Juju Smith-Schuster for a 31-yard TD that set off the greatest TD celebration of the year. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been some very, very good ones. Juju Smith-Schuster's Dragon Ball Z celebration. The Vikings game of Duck, Duck, Goose. Juju Smith-Schuster and the Steelers rolling dice. The Lions whiteouts playing ping pong. And now... Juju Smith-Schuster and Le'Veon Bell doing this. First down. Seven-step drop. Down the middle. Open. Wide open. Is Juju Smith-Schuster for the touchdown. Little game of hide-and-seek. <laughs> Count the 10 and come find me. <laughs> That's fantastic. I got to give this one major style points. Thanks to CBS for that. Juju got into the end zone, waited for Bell, then covered his eyes and counted while Bell ran and hid behind the goalpost before Juju found him. Bringing back celebrations was a good idea, but Juju has made it the best idea. The Steelers need to keep feeding this guy the ball because I need to keep seeing those celebrations. And there's more. If that weren't bad enough, to give up a TD and see the opposing team play children's games in the end zone... It only got worse for the Bengals because with just under six minutes left in the second quarter, Bell dropped one of the nastiest stiff arms you'll ever see. The game is tied at 14. Ben Roethlisberger hits him with a dump-off pass. Then Bell goes to work. First up, Bengals linebacker Vincent Ray. Bell hit him with a juke that had me saying, oh my goodness, and I was not alone. According to Bell, Ray said the same. Quote, I heard him say, oh my goodness. So I said, oh, he missed. Think about that for a second. You're a running back. You juke a defender, and then you hear him say, oh my goodness. I'm guessing that's pretty satisfying. But not as satisfying as what was coming later, because up next was Dre Kirkpatrick and the stiff arm that stole his soul. Second and two. Underneath, a wiggle, what a move, Bell, stiff arm, and he throws down the defender, got a block upfield, and everybody else on the football field, I mean, look at the stiff arm on Kirkpatrick, I mean, he just threw it down, hey, excuse me, hey, you want to hit me on the play before, I'm coming back, Bell hit him so hard with that stiff arm, that Kirkpatrick hit the turf, and he bounced right back up to his feet, I have never seen anything like that, that's not even a football move, that's a superhero move, he turned the ground, he turned the ground into a trampoline. And yes, Bell will admit that one was a little special. Quote, that was one of my better stiff arms of my life. I don't know what happened or what came over me on that play. That was one of my better stiff arms of my life. You know, I don't know what, what happened or what came over me that play. I'll tell you what happened. You put him in the ground. That's you, Alvy. Alvy's laptop obviously is not working. Hey, Alvy, you should put that laptop in the ground. And if that weren't bad enough for the Bengals... The Steelers had a little more for them. I'm still on the same rant. With less than seven minutes to go, up 12, they brought the punt team on for fourth down, and then this happened. And the dangerous Alex Erickson back, averaging seven yards of punt return. We got a fake. We got a pass. We got a, 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 a grab by Darius Hayward Bay. 
How about faking it on fourth and seven? And Bay goes down the middle on the pass from the up man, Robert Golden. Steelers Radio. I'm going to leave you with this thought. I'm not going to say that that was a bleep you fake punt, but that was pretty much a bleep you fake punt. Absolutely no love lost between these two teams, and I love that fact. Ian Rappaport is my guest. Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. I started there actually at the top of the show. Vontez Perfect Ian was at it again yesterday, trying to kick Pittsburgh's Roosevelt Knicks in the first quarter. Le'Veon Bell retweeted a video of it and said, quote, man, dude, got to go, man. That's not football at all. So what do you think happens now? Will the league look into that play? Yeah, I would expect the league to look into it. Uh, you know, generally that, that's kind of what they do is spend Monday morning looking into these sorts of things and just figuring out what actually happened, what was the intent, was there contact made, all these things. And for Vontez Perfect, first of all, this wasn't the beginning of the story because he went out and didn't shake hands with any of the other captains from the team to start the game, which is, you know, not worth a suspension or a fine, but is nonetheless somewhat ridiculous. Um, and we also know he's been suspended before this season and last season. Um, so I wouldn't, if the league does deem it suspension worthy, you know, I wouldn't think he'd get any, get any slack at all. I think they'd come down pretty hard. Ian Rappaport joining us. Now, speaking of Pittsburgh, Ian, Martavis Bennett, or Bryant, I should say, was back on social media appearing to complain about his role in the offense. So where do things stand with him and the team? He's unhappy. Uh, He is definitely unhappy. And, you know, this is one of the things I talked about last week when I discussed him, you know, wanting a trade out of Pittsburgh, and he kind of came back and, you know, told reporters, no, I'm good, I'm good. And uh, he is most certainly not good. Um, You know, the thought was going into yesterday that – uh, he'd have an increased role in the offense. Instead, it just wasn't to be. Hardly got targeted. Um, and then, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, who had one of the best touchdown celebrations we've seen in a long time with the game of tag, you know, he comes out and takes Brian snaps and, you know, gets on social media and says publicly what he's been saying privately, which is that he's not happy and would like to be somewhere else. And even worse to me, he can't hide behind that whole thing of, well, look, I'm only saying this because we're not winning. They're actually playing great right now. And to come Playing out and great. say something yeah. like that, right? After a win, it looks even worse. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's that's one of the problems. And you start to figure out, like, what do you do with a guy like this? He's obviously talented. We know he's talented. We've seen that. The organization stuck by him when he was coming back from, you know, the drug suspension. But now you have a team that looks great. I mean, they really, like, on all levels, they look great. And you have one player who cares about his own role. That all of a sudden is a decision for Kevin Colbert, the general manager, to make. What do you really do with Martavis Bryant? Ian Rappaport is an NFL media insider. You can follow him on Twitter at Rapsheet. Ian, so what do you make of the Packers situation? When Aaron Rodgers went down, Mike McCarthy was quick to say, look, we're not going anywhere else to get a quarterback. We've got our quarterbacks. We have time invested in Brad Hundley. This is our guy. Then he goes out, he rushes for 44 yards in a TD, throws for 87 yards and a pick. Do you feel like not after that loss, does Mike McCarthy feel the same way about Hundley? Is he all in with this guy? I think he is, and, and that seems to be the only choice right now. Um, you know, and there's, they're an organization that builds from within almost exclusively. Like, they rarely do trades. They rarely sign free agents. They draft and develop almost to a fault, although they've been so successful it's hard to say it's to a fault. Um but this is their guy. I mean, they have the bye week now, so I would expect them to get together and try to, you know, figure this out. 
Rodgers is great. He is special. We know that. And Hundley is not him. Um, but it was also the first time he's ever played in meaningful snaps. First time he's ever gotten the reps with the ones at, at practice. I mean, McCarthy is one of the better offensive coaches in the NFL. Hundley, they think, is a very good prospect. Um, I personally would expect a much better product on the field in two weeks. Ian Rappaport joining us for a few more moments. Now, you also spoke with Atlanta Falcons owner Arthur Blank ahead of last night's game in Foxborough. Ever since the start of training camp, Falcon players and coaches have been talking about how what happened in that Super Bowl game is in the past. They've moved beyond it. When you were talking with Blank, did you get the same sense from him? Yeah, and that's you know definitely one of the things he was he was trying to say was that looks well, like we don't even think about it anymore. And his point was we have other things to worry about. You know they had lost two straight by that point when we spoke before the game, and he was like we don't have time to reminisce and talk about the Patriots and our feelings. It was more just we need to go out and win and play better, and then they didn't. Um, and you know now what you're sort of seeing is people starting to look back and go, all right, Atlanta's got the same everything, everything except for offensive coordinator. So was bringing Steve Sarkeesian in a mistake? Is it going to take him some time to get into gear? Because remember what they did was they kept the system. They kept everything Kyle Shanahan did, except they removed Kyle from there. Was that a mistake? Should Sarkeesian have been able to bring in his own system, or should they have kept some guys to maybe help ease the transition, which they really didn't do? Um, I think there are probably some maybe some more questions now on offensively how they handled things before the season. Ian Rappaport joining us. Ian, I've got to get your thoughts on the Browns before I let you go. They changed quarterbacks yet again. They lost yet again. They're 0-7 on the year. They're 1-22 since the start of last season. Where are they right now as an organization? And they just lost Joe Thomas for the rest right. of the season mm-hmm. uh, with a torn tricep, which just came out in the last couple minutes. Uh, they are uh, honestly nowhere um and it's not where they thought they'd be i mean there was so much optimism going into the season you know from a business standpoint they're great they got a lot of picks they continue to stockpile picks and be set as far as just team building the problem is a lot of those picks we see on the field now you know they from a business sense they did a great job in waiting and waiting and not reaching for deshaun kaiser but you know, you can say that, and it's all fine, but then they see you see Deshaun Watson just lighting it up for the Texans, um, and the Browns could have had him. They could have had Carson Wentz. Um, I would imagine there's some soul-searching right now to figure out how to move forward. You know, everything they've talked about with the Sashi Brown, Hugh Jackson uh, regime has been patience and, and not the same old Browns, but, you know, then it's a matter of Jimmy Haslam, how long does he continue this if the results are what they've been. You, know, you mentioned Joe Thomas, so that's official now. You said moments ago it became official he's going to miss the rest of the year. Yeah. What that means in his streak of 10,363 consecutive snaps is now up. Now, you've been around this game for a long, long time. What do you make of that streak and the fact that it ended yesterday? Uh, he's amazing. And, he, you know, Joe Thomas is sort of special in a lot of ways. He's <laughs> His play has never waned, which is ridiculous for a left tackle who faces the best pass rushers all the time. He's stuck with an organization that's been mostly terrible. He never misses any plays. He's been so lucky to never get injured. Um, So it's all combines to, like, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And you sort of thought it would take something catastrophic to actually get him on the field. And that injury, from what I understand, as soon as it happened, he knew, all right, uh, this is torn and I am in trouble. 
Hmm. You know, earlier today, a judge in New York rejected the NFL's request to expedite the hearing in the Ezekiel Elliott case. So what does that mean for his availability and then the overall time frame for a resolution? Now what? First, uh, this week, he's going to play against the Redskins. So we know at least for sure he gets one more game. Uh, hearing Monday at 5 p.m., which is ridiculous to have a hearing so late, but I don't set the schedule, so whatever. Um, it, that's where it all kind of hangs in the balance. Then we learn, does he get the preliminary injunction? which basically puts the suspension on hold until next season, or does he not get the preliminary injunction, in which case his legal team would have one more option to try to keep him on the field in 2017. So the hearing is big next Monday, but it's still not the be-all and end-all if he loses. So well done, Ian. Did you go to law school, or did you just cover the NFL? Uh, so much experience covering the courts. I feel like I'm a professional fake lawyer now. It's great. That's the truth. Let's talk about the Colts for a minute. I'm going to need a minute. This is an amazing story, really. Because as nasty as Le'Veon Bell's stiff arm was, and I thought that was the nastiest thing I saw all weekend, I'm not sure it was. Not after seeing what T.Y. Hilton did to his own team and his own offensive line. I think that he takes top honors for the weekend. And it's not for something he did in the game, for what he did after the game. Then again, when you're Indianapolis and you give up 10 sacks in a game to Jacksonville, a.k.a. Saxonville, a lot of people are going to say a lot of things. I mean, when a team has 10 sacks in a game, the question is always going to be, is the defense that good or is the offense that bad? And in this case, the answer is yes. The Jags are nasty up front. And I said it. They're nasty up front. They set a franchise record with 10 sacks in a game in the season opener, and then they tied it again yesterday. They have two 10-sack games already. You don't accidentally get double-digit sacks in a game twice. Not when you've got guys like Clayus Campbell playing up front and wreaking havoc. He had a couple of sacks. Malik Jackson, the pride of the 8-1-8, had a sack and a half. Dante Fowler, a sack and a half. Yannick. Ngakwe, two and a half. In short, they beat the crap out of the Colts' offensive line and Jacoby Brissett. And as Chuck Pagano said afterwards, quote, I would probably say, without looking at the film, it wasn't very good. You credit Jacksonville, right? Ten sacks. You're not going to do much giving up ten sacks. End quote. You're not going to do much giving up ten sacks or you didn't do much if you were giving up ten sacks. Either way, it's right. But I'm going to lean towards the latter. Don't get me wrong. The Jags get after it. They're not called Saxonville for nothing. It's a great defensive team, especially that front seven. But you cannot give up 10 sacks in a game. And that's not me talking. Just ask Colts wide receiver T.Y. Hilton. Quote, we were winning our matchups. Who's winning our matchup? The O-line just got to play better. We were winning our matchups. The O-line just has to play better. Who's winning our matchup? The O-line just got to play better. In other words, the old, I did my job, but those clowns didn't do theirs approach. That does not sound like a locker room that's on the same page. Far from it. And he was just getting started. As far as receiver, nothing could change. We got to uh, take some pride up front and, you know, block for them, you know. What if we put them back there and take those hits? So uh, we got to start up front, man. Once we get a no line going, back in rhythm, we'll be fine. Listen, I'm not sure that all of you picked up on what he just said and what he meant by that. That's an amazing thing to say. 
to lay out your offensive line like that. Let me run that back one more time and listen very carefully to what he just said. We got to take some pride up front and, you know, block for them, you know. What if we put them back there and take those hits? So uh, we got to start up front, man. Once we get the line going, back in rhythm, we'll be fine. Let me repeat that one more time. We've got to take some pride up front and block for him. What if we put them back there and take those hits? We've got to start up front, end quote. I mean, bam! That was a harder hit than any of the ones that Brissett took out on the field. He's challenging their pride. And then he's going with that second-grade teacher approach of, yeah, how would you like it if you were the one back there getting hit like that? How would you like it if you were getting sacked? Huh? How would you like it? How would you like to be sacked 10 times in a game? How's that grab you? Would that feel good? Yeah, I didn't think so. So why don't you start blocking? How would you like it if we put you back there to take those shots? That's pretty much what he said. And after seeing that performance yesterday, maybe we dropped that charade of bringing back Andrew Luck this year. The latest report is he'll be out until at least Thanksgiving. So why not just make it official and say that he'll be out until at least February? I know the guy's a competitor. I know he wants to get back on the field as quickly as possible. I know he's tough as hell, but you don't do it. I mean, for who? For what? You're two and five. You're not going anywhere at all. Jacoby Brissett just got sacked 10 times. There is no reason to have luck on the field this season. He isn't your franchise quarterback. He is your franchise. You don't throw that guy to the Wolves when he's coming back from surgery, especially when he's dealt with rib injuries, shoulder injuries, and a lacerated kidney. Throwing him behind those turnstiles would be ridiculous. In fact, it wouldn't even just be ridiculous. It would be reckless and stupid, and you don't do it. And T.Y. Hilton crushing his O-line. The only thing better than that is the way he has since apologized for it. This is the rare apology. You normally never get an apology. And even when you do get an apology, it's not a good apology. This is the rare apology that's really, really well done. Greg Doyle tweeted, T.Y. Hilton, I'd like to apologize to the O-line. I stabbed them in the back and I was wrong. That's a great apology. I mean, he said it perfectly. He did stab them in the back and it was wrong. Even if he was right. He was right, but he was wrong to say it. So there's your apology. I'd like to apologize to the O-line. I stabbed them in the back and I was wrong. That's a win-win. Because it's not going to take back what he said. That's still out there. And then he did the right thing and he apologized. And he apologized the right way. There you go. We're joined by Raiders head coach Jack Del Rio. You know, I'm watching that game on Thursday night, and I'm thinking about your career, both as a player and a coach. You've been in that league a long, long time. Have you ever seen an ending to a game like the one you had on Thursday against the Chiefs? Not quite like that. Not where, you know, it's uh, four, or five, four or five snaps without any time left on the clock or, or, with, or with so little time left on the clock. Uh, pretty pretty uh, up and down affair there to finish. Had to be really exciting to watch. I know the, the, the fans there were awesome. And uh, it was sure sure a great thing to be able to deliver a big W. You yeah. know, so we, we everybody went home with a big smile. I was going to say it was an unbelievable thing to watch. I'm curious, as the head coach, what's going through your mind in the last five plays where it looked like you might have a touchdown on that pass to Jared Cook, then he's ruled down at the one, and then there's one penalty after another that keeps that game alive. How are you and your players able to keep your composure over the course of those final few plays? 
Yeah, I think we just went in there, you know, with the mindset, uh, believing somehow we're going to come out of the win. You know, um, you're right. The first one, I mean, I, I, I still don't know how they overturned that. You know, um, it was called touchdown. I think there's enough there to substantiate a touchdown. But anyway, that's that's for the officials to work through. Um, then we get the Crabtree, um, you know, touchdown call back there, and then and then the holding calls and. Um, it was just a you know a great play at the end. Derek and Crab hook up on on a little sprint right or sprint left and uh, and, and you know big big moment right there. Jack Del Rio joining us. Uh, Jack, I understand that every week is one week at a time, one day at a time. Every game is important, but when you have a game like that and you find a way to win a game like that, especially when you're coming in having lost four straight and Kansas City was playing as well as they were, is that the kind of game that an entire season could turn on or could change the course of the season? Well, there's no question that. You know, much like last year's, you know, uh, two-point conversion to start the year in New Orleans kind of catapulted us to a year of believing. You know, a, an event like that and uh, a performance like that, it definitely instills belief and confidence in the organization. And uh, I, I know we come out of there, you know, with with a with a bounce. Uh, but uh, you know, from here, hey, we just we just move on. But uh, yeah, have a performance like that, and you know, uh, you know, Crab and Coop and and Derek and. Defense coming up with a big stop when they needed it. You know, those, those are those are big things for your football team. Raiders head coach Jack Del Rio back with us on the program. Jack, you and I have talked in the past about the kind of player and leader that you have in Derek Carr. What has he shown you, though, in how he's handled that back injury and how quickly he found his way back onto the field? Yeah, I mean, for him, it wasn't as quick as he wanted. You know, I, I had to hold him out the first game, um, you know, after the injury, and um, it was the right thing to do, absolutely the right thing to do. But uh, uh, he, he wouldn't admit it at the time. I think he knows looking back it was. But I think we're able to put that behind us. Uh, I know he, he feels really good about, you know, how he's come out of the last couple of games and obviously played lights out the other night and, uh, you know, awesome to see and glad to have him, uh, you know, have, have gotten through that. Yeah, every time I have him on this show, I come away even more impressed from the time before. And you spend plenty of time around him, working with him. Is there something maybe you know about him right now that you didn't know about him when you first met him? Well, there's a lot that I've learned, um, you know, in the, in the three years that we've been together. And I think, you know, we just continue to grow together. Uh, I told him, hey, we're going to win a lot of games together here, you know. And, um, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I sat him down and we talked about, you know, after he struggled in, in, a, in a big game, and um, you know, I said, "Listen, we're we're going to win a lot of ball games, and this is this is what I believe in. This is this who I believe you are, and what we can do together. And um, you know, we're just not going to look back." You know, you talked about the defense. Navarro Bowman joined that team earlier in the week, and he was already wearing the helmet with the green dot. You said after the game, "quote I just absolutely love the football player in him. He's a hunting dog. What is it about him and his game that makes him different?" Well, he's got that. Um, He's got the wisdom of having played. He's a, a guy that you can tell loves football. Uh, he loves all all the different things about it. He loves the preparation. I mean, really impressive during the week. You know, we're we're in our uh, our last uh, defensive meeting leading into the ball game, and you know, we're calling out situations. He's calling out plays to look forward things, and just really sharp and on on point with his preparation. You know, he spent three days here. And we were in we were in basically in hats all week. You know, it'd be in a short week, so the the team never did put the first time he put on a helmet was Thursday night with the green dot in it. So hmm. uh, pretty pretty cool uh, for him. You know, a real a real you know kind of a throwback kind of player in terms of the toughness and the uh, mentality he brings to the game. We're talking to Jack Del Rio for a few more moments. Jack, obviously, Marshawn Lynch had himself a pretty interesting night. I would imagine that if I were to ask you what you had to say to him, you would say I'm going to keep that between me and him. 
he's one of a kind kind of guy, right? I mean, what's it been like coaching Marshawn? Well, um, you know, the, the, this kind of thing, there hasn't been a lot of dialogue, um, you know, between he and I on this. Uh, obviously, you know, it occurred. The only thing that was said was you can't blanking go out on the field like that. And that was really it. Um, you know, we, you know, he was tossed after that. I've not spoken to him. You know, we'll get back together as a team when we do. If he's uh, suspended, it, it'll be a while before I, I get back with him. But uh, if he's here, then we'll then we'll have a chance to talk. You know, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I'm all about the team, doing whatever's best for the team, and that has to come first. And um, you know, I think he he went outside those lines in that instance the other night. Jack, I think he made that pretty clear, right? You can't go on the field no matter what. Is there any issue as to why he went on the field? Was there any concern in the locker room that was he out there to have his quarterbacks back, or was he out there to protect his cousin? Does it matter why he went on? Yeah, it does matter, but uh, that's that's for another time, another discussion. Hmm. Has that been reconciled in the locker room? Well, I'm going to do everything I can to protect our culture. We've got a very strong culture here, so um, you know that's you know that's that's what I'm going to fight for. Hey, Michigan men, quick question: Who's got it better than us? Who's got it better than us? Pretty much everybody. Because the AP poll features 25 teams and Michigan is not amongst them. And the highest paid coach in college football now has the fourth best team in the Big Ten East. And after needing overtime to escape Indiana last weekend, the Wolverines walked into that whiteout in Happy Valley and they walked out with Saquon Barkley's cleat marks up and down their back. And on the second play, the second play from scrimmage, Barkley hits record on his Heisman hype video when he took a direct snap to the freaking house. Direct snap to Barkley with McSorley in the backfield. Looks right and then cuts back to left. Now he's got some room to run. Saquon Barkley down the left side. Touchdown, Penn State. Saquon Barkley barely touched and 69 yards to pay dirt. Compass Media with that. And after putting up a brief fight in the second quarter, Big Blue laid down, and then they took it. 506 yards of offense against Michigan's vaunted defense. Just 269 yards of offense for the 98th best unit in the country. The fifth best college offense in Michigan, the entire state. Behind Western Michigan, Central Michigan, Michigan State, and Eastern Michigan. That pile of blue chip talent at running back, averaging two and a half yards a pop. John O'Corn throwing for 166 yards. And as James Franklin's team piled it on, scoring the last 28 points of that game and putting the Wolverines in the wood chipper for a 42-13 demolition, the stark reality of things can only slap you in the face. Look at the numbers. Jim Harbaugh is 6-5 in his last 11. Jim Harbaugh has the same record as Brady Hoke after 33 games. And Harbaugh has been taken to the woodshed by Franklin, D'Antonio, Fisher, Herb, and even Kirk Ferentz. All of that since last November 12th. Take that for data. Take that for data. I mean, the point of that monster paycheck was to beat those guys, not get beaten down by those guys. The point of having three assistant coaches making more than a million dollars annually, that's more than Alabama and LSU and everybody else, 
was to make sure that your team is better in year three than it was in year one. When Harbaugh was winning with hoax guys and hoax recruits. But three years into this, and Michigan still does not have a quarterback. And that's under a guy who played quarterback in the NFL for a decade and a half plus. Three years into this thing, and the Wolverines look less and less like a national title contender and more and more like a Big Ten pretender. And the guy who could do no wrong. A guy who got a free pass over and over for that bag act. The Walmart khakis. The throwback jerseys. The satellite camps. The glasses of milk. The trips to Rome. The petty fights with the media about roster reveals. And who is in the team picture? None of that flies when the ref needs to step in and stop the fight against Penn State. And a year after beating the Lions 49-10, Penn State returns that favor. And a year after it looked like Michigan was back, only to lose three of their last four, it's Penn State that looks like the national title contender and Michigan the absolute pretender. Because 5-2... and two, and losses in your two biggest games is not what they're paying this guy all that hellified jack for. And it might get a lot worse before it gets better with Wisconsin and Ohio State still ahead. Worry about this now, Michigan fan. A coach who has never kept a job for more than four years is in his third year at his alma mater, and it's already turning on him. And the guy you threw piles and piles and piles of cash at to compete with Herb and Nick and the rest of college football's elite just spent another Saturday proving he's not worth it. And you still have to deal with Wisconsin, and even worse, Ohio State. How do you feel about your guy right now? 1-800-636-8686. That was a beatdown. Let's go to Detroit. Allen in the D. Allen, good morning. How are hey, you? Hey, Rome. How you doing? Good. You? Yeah, you know, you just laid it all out there. Honestly, I'm just so frustrated with this guy, Harbaugh. Uh, we have a great program here in Michigan. A lot of kids like to come here, but the problem is, you know, everyone just overbought the hype of Harbaugh. And honestly, he's just got to go. I'm sick and tired of him. Me and all my friends are sick and tired of him. Everyone I talk to wants to, like, sugarcoat what's going on and always have an excuse for, for, for Mr. Harbaugh. But honestly, serious changes need to be done. He's got to go. We're sick of losing. This is not the program that we are supposed to have. We're losing every big freaking game, and I'm just tired of it. And and they got to wake up, and they got to get rid of this guy. And that's all I got to say about that. All right, Alan, you got it. Rack him. Bruce Feldman joins us. Penn State thrashed Michigan Saturday night. Was that a matter, matter Bruce, of Penn State being better than everybody thought, or is Michigan not what everybody thought? I think it's a matter of... Penn State having a bye week. Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator, really had some good stuff up his sleeve, and I think they outcoached Michigan. You know, Don Brown has a great defense, but the way they were able to not only use Saquon Barkley right from the start uh, in the Wildcat, but then you saw Trace McSorley, who I think is much better than people give him credit for. He's not a prototype NFL size guy, but he is really, really aggressive in how he plays. They do well with the 50-50 balls because I think his athleticism is underrated, and I think the size and athleticism of those receivers, I think they really took it to Michigan. Now, where Michigan has major issues is they're, they're really struggling on offense, 
I, I don't know if that's more of a function of Michigan struggling on offense or just how good this Penn State defense is, but so far the Nittany Lions have been really, really solid in every week. It's just they haven't been tested. They're going to get a much bigger test this weekend when they have to go to Columbus, when they're going to face a Buckeye team. Much like they were out for revenge last week when they hosted Michigan, now they're going to be the ones who are going to be facing a team that's angry and coming off a bye week. Bruce Feldman joining us. All right, Bruce, so what about Ohio State? They're number six, and they've got that game in Columbus. Ohio State has thrashed everybody they've faced since losing to Oklahoma in week two, but those opponents have not been all that impressive. So what's your sense of how good this Buckeye team really is right now? Well, I think they're really talented, especially in the defensive front. I don't know how good they are on offense. I really love J.K. Dobbins, the freshman running back. You know, J.T. Barrett, the quarterback, has put up – big stats, but like you said, they really haven't faced anybody that good since Oklahoma, and if you want to even look at it that way, Oklahoma's defense is not that good, but in that game, they were. So, you know, how much better is this Ohio State team? It's not. This wouldn't be the first time Urban Meyer has had a team that struggled early and then got a lot better as the year went on and, and got some momentum. I think Ohio State's going to win this game because I think their defensive line will get more pressure uh, than Michigan's was able to. I think they'll have a few more answers, and I, I just think that they are a better offensive team to challenge Penn State. And you wonder how, how much, I know James Franklin just is focusing on win game, one game a week, but just to come off of that Michigan game and then to go back on the road to face this team, I think that's asking a lot for Penn State at this point. I mean, I think it'll be close. But I think Ohio State ends up pulling it out. Bruce Feldman's the author of The Quarterback. He's a writer for Sports Illustrated, also a reporter for Fox Sports and FS1. Bruce, let me just go back to Michigan for one second. Jim Harbaugh's 6-5 and five in his last 11 games. He lost three of the last four at the end of last season. So as shaky as these results are, it would seem like it would take an awful lot for him to actually be on the hot seat at Michigan. But if things keep going like this, could you see his time in Michigan being shorter than originally anticipated? I guess it's possible, but I think people have to look and say, okay, they had one starter back on defense. They haven't, they didn't have a ton of guys. They lost basically the entire receiving core uh, from last year and some, some pretty good offensive linemen. This, to me, was a team that's probably a year away from being where I think they were a, a legit playoff contender team. And then, I, I, you know, if this happens next year, then I think we look at it that way. But the way they're building, I think you got to be a little more – patient at this point if you're if you're Michigan I think what what Jim Harbaugh has working against him is because he has been so polarizing with all the social media comments people are waiting for this for for Jim Harbaugh and a lot of people are are saying hey we're getting the last laugh because oh yeah this guy who's been hyped on so much for the hype job you know on the field especially against their arch rivals you know and and that falls certainly into obviously Ohio State but Michigan State as well and then to lose the way they did to Penn State this week, uh, there's a lot of people snickering. But I think if next year is the year probably to evaluate and see, okay, where is this program? The thing that I would, I am curious about is Jim Harbaugh has struggled to, to really develop a quarterback there. You know, he had a grad transfer, Jake Rudock, who did pretty well there. But then in the last couple of years, it's just, they really struggle in the red zone. And I think it's more than just the, on the quarterback, but I think that's a function of, hey, all these pieces are not coming together. You'd think they would have been 
more efficient at this by this time of the season. No doubt. It's a good place to start. Bruce Feldman joining us. All right, Bruce, what about Notre Dame hammering USC the way they did Saturday night? What does that say about where both those programs are right now? Well, I think it says, first of all, USC is a mess. You know, they've had a patchwork offensive line. The defense has been really underwhelming. I don't look at the defensive line at USC and see a guy. There's no Leonard Williams. There's no Mike Patterson there. And I think they were exposed. Now, what is hurting them as much as anything is, I think Sam Darnold feels like he has to do everything. And I think he's trying to do too much. And I think it's really backfiring now. It's a program that, on the you know, offensively doesn't seem like it has much of an identity. And, you know, I'm not – to me – Washington was my preseason pick to win the Pac-12. I just thought USC was going to be inconsistent. But they've sputtered up till that game, and then they just got just got blown out of the building. I wonder how they put the pieces back. Is this a team that's going to have to struggle to go 8-4 and four or even, you know, maybe 9-3? and three? Given the expectations, there's going to be a lot of really frustrated USC fans because of the way they were embarrassed by Notre Dame. As far as the Irish, I mean, their only loss is a one-point loss to a really good Georgia team. I think Brian Kelly deserves a ton of credit for the staff shakeup that he made this offseason, especially bringing in Mike Elko to run the defense. That's been a huge difference. And they've always had a pretty good offensive line, but I think they have really done a good job in terms of running the football, getting Brandon Winbush, the first-year starting quarterback, settled in. If they win the rest of their games, which I think they, they should be favored all along the way, um, you know, they'll play a good NC State team. They'll play Miami, who's good, Stanford. I think they're going to have a really strong argument to make the playoff. Bruce Feldman joins us. You know, Bruce, one more thought about the Pac-12. Oregon State is looking for a new head coach after Gary Anderson stepped down. And one of the names that you've raised as a possibility is Ken Niamatololo. How do you like that possible fit between that coach and that program? Yeah, he's done a great job at Navy. I think when you're at, at Oregon State, especially with such a loaded North division in the Pac-12, I think you need to probably do things a little outside the box. Mike Leach was certainly outside the box at Washington State. They've had success. Ken Niamatololo, triple option, would be that, would be very much that way. They're really efficient. He is as highly regarded as about any coach within the coaching world. The other thing to keep in mind, he has a lot of recruiting ties out out here on the West Coast, but in the Pacific Northwest and, and on the Pacific Islands. In terms of being a guy who probably could help recruit very well in the Polynesian community, that's something that, again, using the Washington State example, Mike Leach had his D-line coach who had a lot of strong connections there, and that helped them because you're not going to go into L.A., you're not going to go into into California and beat most of the Pac-12 if you're at, at one of these other schools like an Oregon State, like a Washington State. I think Kenny Amatololo higher in Corvallis would make a ton of sense. And for people who were like, well, he didn't want the BYU job, that one, you know, there were some snags there, or else I think he might might be in, at BYU now. In this case, I think Oregon State's got to really give him a long look, given the success he's had and the, and the, way, the way his teams execute. Thank you for listening to the Daily Jungle and to the Jim Rome podcast. Another episode drops tomorrow. Check back then and check back here for more Daily Jungle. See you next time. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? 
Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.